0: Well, I don't pay okay, it's Jackson
1: am out. He's Mr. Hayes on the board. SP Futures, hey, we're down 16. NASDAQ Futures down 73. Dow Futures down 109. Uh, that's where we are. Do we have Mr. Lou?
2: I am here. Good morning. What's up, man? How are you? Oh, I'm just, uh, just
1: peachy. We still haven't had any snow here in Denver. Um, well, you, what about the ski resorts? Do they have any? Uh, they're hurting. Um, a lot of, a
2: lot of them are not, uh, fully open, although there's supposed to be a big, well, they're calling it a big storm uh, coming in uh, tonight or today and tomorrow, but we'll uh, we'll see. But I think I think the ski
1: business is down. Well, if you don't really snow, I guess it's down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, of course, you know the the big fear
2: here is uh, is fire, and uh, that's what that's what everybody's worried about. If we don't get if we don't get enough moisture over the winter.
1: Well, we also got uh, issues with uh, runoff, and we got the. We got problems with Lake mead. we got problems with everything with uh
2: yeah yeah, but that that's for that's for all those people downstream for us it's uh you know more uh, more direct
1: um all right so you, you don't care about those sneaking people
2: well they're you know they'll get they'll get their water eventually it runs downhill, but uh <laughs> so right now we're worried about the stuff that's staying here
1: um did you guys have some uh like early snow in October or something, no. I thought you were talking no. about one storm a few weeks ago you were in. Yeah, we were
2: hoping that it was going to get, get here, but uh, no, we haven't had. So it's we're almost at the longest stretch between about snow here in Denver in history. We are three weeks, four weeks, pe- or three weeks, I think, past the uh, latest snow date ever recorded. So. It's, wow. it's, it looks like it's going to be a... Well, and then this is consistent with the El Niña weather pattern that's set up in the Pacific. This is uh, going to be one of those warm and very dry uh, winters, I think.
1: Well, I hope that's uh, not the case for the ski resorts. Everybody needs to make a living. Not to mention, people yeah, need to go no skiing. I hope not either. Chris, how much um, time I, to, I what did hit you up I wanted for? to... What's the what's I to step in on
2: a, uh, like a, a situation or an incident that has... Uh, direct relation to your uh, your financial and economic uh, reports the uh, controller of the of the currency of treasury the nominee that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago who was as far as I can tell still an active member of the communist party although uh, at least philosophically uh, her nomination was rejected by the senate on something of a bipartisan vote I
1: thought she just, so, she just pulled it pardon me I thought she pulled it No, they voted on her. Well, then she pulled it or something. Yeah.
2: Well, they 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 voted on her, and you know that was the end of that. It was fifty. I think there were four senators, four Democratic senators, who said, "Yeah, she's uh, she's a little too far left, even for uh, even for us." The reason I I noted it, or I noted, is not so much because of the uh, of the vote, which I should have been a foregone conclusion, but the fact that you know uh, this tells us a lot about the bureaucracy the federal bureaucracy and what is actually percolating up to the top the, the, it's unbelievable that somebody who believes that all private banking in the united states should be eliminated i mean as early as last year all private banking in the united states should be eliminated there should be no private money deposits all deposits should go into the Federal Reserve and be, uh, be monitored there, um, who, who unbelievably argued that there was no wage gap in the former Soviet Union and that it really was kind of a worker's paradise, uh, who, who you know, apparently believes this. Uh, you know, that person should never have even been nominated. But more importantly, she had, had worked her way up the food chain in Treasury to be to be thought to be qualified And at, at some point you ask yourself what exactly is being promoted within our federal bureaucracies, and and is is this an indication of uh, some kind of you know uh, not just left leaning but far left element in our own government in our government uh, bureaucratic structure that you know of the kind that. You know, hampers the ability of of politicians and other other elected representatives to operate.
1: Um, you, you set me off with about fifteen questions here, and I don't want I don't even know which one to go first. I I don't know that the uh, even the people who are allegedly communists could even define what that, what that means. Uh,
2: you can find this one. She was a she was a she was a <laughs> uh, people called her a Marxist. I didn't refer to her as a Marxist. She's a communist. And, and I mean that. I mean that in the the sense of supporting the Communist Party and its objectives, and and supporting and and or uh, philosophically aligning herself with the Soviet Union and its practices.
1: Um, That's why I question. call her a communist. Well, the, the weird part with that is is you. Don't, and I'm gonna pick on your brain for the history. As soon as he got in, didn't Lenin change his economic policies dramatically just because he realized they weren't working? Um,
2: you're talking about the new economic policy that uh, Lenin put into place as a temporary measure in uh, the uh, mid-20s because they, uh, the, the Bolshevik Revolution and then the Russian Civil War had caused such a terrible disruption and, uh, and disaster to the Russian economy so they put in they put in a, something called the new economic policy the uh the um guys who were in favor of were actually referred to as nippmen um nep men and yeah so that that was that was never permanent it was always temporary and the uh, the soviets of course tolerated a a black market that was pure capitalism for for many years,
1: for decades. Well, so, because when Armin, if you read a, if you've read a Armin Hammer's book, I mean, it, I, you know, of course, when I when I first got it, I thought when we reading about Oxy. Well, the first part of the book was so fascinating as a period piece. When I got to the Oxy part, I stopped reading it because I didn't really, really didn't give a crap about Oxy. But if, if ever anybody wants to read a, uh, you don't care about the, who the guy is, but. A book of a period piece of America during the depression and what was going on in Russia during that time up into world war two I'm going to say that that is the most incredible other than maybe the winds of war but this this is actually you know word for word it was a guy's life it's the best education of that period i've ever i've ever read Lou. if you if you if you read the thing but for those who don't arm and hammer not not the not the bacon soda the, the guy who uh he had one of the most spectacular lives. What, the guy lived like 100 and something? But he made he made so much money during during the, the prohibition in the drug business by selling something called Tincture of Ginger, which was a drug that was mostly all alcohol flavored by ginger that was actually good for you, like a medicinal thing. Well, if you threw some ginger ale in it, you basically had a highball. So your drug stores were serving booze like all during that time where all people, well, I'm sure some people know about it. So he was making more money than like a... Like a uh, uh, you know, a Hollywood star. But then it all ended, and he was a doctor, and talk about your, your communistic things. His dad, uh, was a doctor, and, uh, so he studied, you know, to be a physician, and he was actually, uh, graduated. And, uh, so his, his dad went to one communist, uh, rally. You know, we're talking about during the pre- depression, everybody, you know, you think back and you say, oh god, you know, the history, you know, it, it rubs, The hard edges rub off, shall we say, when you read about this stuff. Well, and
2: plus, plus remember that the New York Times, which had even more influence than it does now, was, was actively promoting Stalin and uh, the Soviet Union as a, as a worker's paradise. To the extent that a significant number of American engineers and uh, folks who couldn't find work here in the Depression attempted to and were successfully emigrating into the Soviet Union, they disappeared. There were thousands of them, and uh, they disappeared. You yep. also had an American ambassador who was, whose wife was raiding uh, the Hermitage and some other art museums and uh, um, other types of, of Russian art repositories, and bringing the stuff back to the United States as a as kind of a of a payoff for him not. Raising the alarm about what was happening in the Soviet Union. So, so for for people belonging to the Communist Party in the United States, they had a, a, a if, they, if they were just relying on the major news sources, they had a very limited sort of outlook as to what was happening in Russia
1: at the at the time. Well, I guess where I'm going with this, Louis, is for I don't know how many what people knew about Russia and what the New York Times revolved, but. You looked at our, our, quote, capitalistic system, or wherever the hell our system was supposed to be. If you're in a depression and you look out the window, it wasn't working so hot, bud. <laughs> no, I, I,
2: that's, why, that's why I made that statement, yeah. that, that there was not a lot of understanding of what was happening in the Soviet Union in the United States and in the West. That was, of course, at the Soviets' uh, insistence and, and effort, or a result of their efforts. And so it did look, it did look like a, a possibility for a lot of people. I mean, they they hoodwinked a bunch of
1: people. Paul Olverson oh. and a number I'm, I'm, of others. I'm going to say that Oops. there's not a whole lot of... Germany was probably worse, but in the in the depths of the Depression, I'm not so sure many countries were were worse or better than others. I mean, they are all... As oh, as as I, as I a,
2: don't think you can say that with any kind of straight face. Well,
1: I I don't know where the other places were. I do know that... Well, the Soviets... Let, let, me, let me put it this way. The Soviets enforced a
2: famine in, in I, Ukraine I what, with the execution of their, of their freelance farmers, the kulaks the Soviets enforced a famine that killed something like 10% of the population I, in Ukraine okay, I mean, I, I, in I the
1: 1930s what I'm saying is if you're looking out your window as a sharecropper or a, or a coal miner or something in this country I don't know that you could imagine it much worse I'm, I'm sure there were places well, that were but, without,
2: without news, yes, I think that's probably true
1: well, anyway, his, his, his dad goes to one of these things, and somebody is trying to track down the people that are going to these communist, you know. Um, but he went just to see what the, what, well, essentially to he heard the guy talk. So they're kind of after him, and as a doctor, he goes to somebody's house. He used to go to somebody's house and, and do the births there, right? He didn't, he didn't, people didn't go to hospitals. So he goes, and somehow or another was a big screw-up in the delivery, and they accused him of doing an abortion, which he didn't do. But they accused him of it and put him in jail. So Arm and Hammer, the son, says, I'm not going to spend the next five years on the train every weekend going up and see Pa. I'm going to go over to to Russia and these places and see what's going on. Well now he's a doctor. He gets there and one guy says, You know, instead of uh, doing what you're doing, how about coming with me? I have this business because he had a lot of dough. He goes, I got this business opportunity in asbestos of all things. And he said instead of taking the train to be the doctor, he took the train to, and, and that that night would change his whole life. And, uh, he ended up making pencils over there and, and pens and, and all kinds of stuff and bu- businesses over. Anyway, he claims that, that Lenin was uh when he first went there, the, the communist thing was an absolute disaster. Uh, and then he went he went back a few years later when Lenin did what you said and let the black market run and everything. He, he said you couldn't believe the change in the, in the society. And well, and then, it, and then
2: it, and then it, back. I mean, well, Lenin, Lenin, Lenin dies. Yeah, Stalin takes yeah. over, and and you see one of the one of the most impressive technological and business and societal jumps in history with the start of the five year plans. Well, and, and that uh, Stalin, and his people forcibly industrialize uh, uh, a country uh, sufficiently so that it could it could fight capably in World War Two.
1: Well, I mean, where I'm running with this is when people use well, not you especially when they when you when you talk about you know, we don't want to be socialists. We want to be you know that anybody who stands twenty years on a trading floor is not a socialist. I mean, but what I, what I when I write new, right now, whenever I, somebody says to me what you did, I'm not going to challenge you, but I easily challenge other people. I'll, I'll say, okay, define for me exactly what we have now. This is not free market. This is not competitive. I'm not. I'm not
2: going to get into a discussion of you with you about exactly what the U.S. system is. But I am going to say clearly that somebody who believes in the economic structures of the former Soviet Union and who believes that Soviet centralization, Soviet-style centralization, is a desirable element in our uh, clearly, in is, our culture. It clearly it's is a not communist.
1: <laughs> it clearly is not. And but then when you start talking about our country, the government's going to help people open the ports on a Saturday, and we don't think those guys can figure that out. We're 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 already down a road to someplace, Lou. I don't know where well, it is.
2: I, I I agree. This this goes back. This goes back to a discussion point that you and I have had many times on uh, the overregulation of American business and the american economy and the danger that as you pass more and more and more federal laws you open the door for more and more federal intrusion into and federal discretion and power into the day-to-day operations of our of our businesses which means that the, your federal prosecutors who are charged with enforcing the law have more and more discretion over what charges get Push forward or what charges don't and and who's you know whose ox is being gored today versus whose ox is going to be gored tomorrow based on the political whims of the leadership and that's what's so terribly dangerous about this
1: well, I, got, I got a good one for you last night i my on wednesday i, I uh, have invited a lot of these these guys a couple of uh, older attorneys that i've known forever i used to play softball with and were, there's a group that meets on wednesday and it's a a few judges, and it's a pretty interesting group. You find out what's going on in the city. And, uh, good guys. I mean, I, you know, what we're doing are all gone. They're all up there. So there's a couple of, of, ladies with them last night. You know, not ladies, even people that are also, that they're friends of theirs. And, uh, I inter- one was introduced to me, and then she's, turns out she works for one of the firms that, uh, I won't say the name, uh, down here in the, in the trading industry. And I said, yeah, I was on the floor for a while, and this, and of course I knew the firm she worked for. And I said, are you guys back to work? And she goes, oh no. And I said, why she goes, well the SEC tells us we want, they want us at home because we're like key industry or something i'm going i didn't say i didn't say where it was' not my job to to, to dig in because she was ready to leave, but i'm like wait a minute, what 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 does the s c c start telling people where they should be at home or not yep i mean, I mean what what are we doing here Will? i mean
2: you know we are so so let me let you've now you've now led me into one of my other topics that I wanted to talk about this morning let, let first of all, let me go back to what we were talking about, which is I would ask. The listeners to contemplate the idea that a professed communist not only was hired by Treasury and worked at a very high level, but was promoted up through Treasury to the point where she was considered a competent or or legitimate candidate for comptroller. and And ask yourself how that worked and and who was responsible for that. Never mind the people who actually nominated her.
1: For, uh, for the well, job. I have a, a very, you may not know the answer to this, but I don't. But this is not, I don't think this is in your wheelhouse, but sometimes you surprise me. When I was in school a long, long time ago, yes, they had schools back then, uh, I always read and heard that the Comptroller conser- of Currency regulated the, the major money center banks. The Federal Reserve regulated all the other national banks and the uh, FDIC Regulated all the the state banks. Along with the states. Or something, something like that. Lou, ever since the 2007 fiasco and even before that, I have not even heard of the guy's name or lady's name of the comprover currency. They've never been on TV. No matter what happened to, uh, you know, I'm gonna say Wells Fargo or all these places or Citigroup or all this stuff, I I never once saw the comprover currency ever on TV, said a word, all of a sudden this lady pops into this job the last five people before what they do stay home or they ski and hold i mean I, I thought the thing was like eliminated the job and all of a sudden there's this big controversy since when do they do anything lately i i, I don't this thing I, came out of know. when was the last time you heard about uh, the camp for a recurrency they're supposed to be the major oh, right I, think I, I, think I, I think i heard it referenced
2: i think i've heard it referenced within the last decade but maybe once
1: well you know who you ever know who it was I mean, you, you see the I serve people up there all the time? How can we not regulating this? Regulate? That? I never saw that guy.
2: I I suspect I suspect I I never heard the name more than as I said more than once, if that. So I certainly sort of couldn't name who the predecessor was, and I probably won't be able to name who the successor was.
1: Well, we got a, only a couple of minutes, but my uh, my bro uh, sent me this thing last night, and said, so "Hey, probably won't." Really well, go let's talk. go back. Let's go back to your SEC thing about controlling the the workplace. Uh, for,
2: uh, settings for uh, for people in there uh, in in that industry. So this is some, this is something that I'm, I'm I'm now involved in litigating, and and that is this ridiculous idea that the federal government should be able to tell the workforce of the United States either through the or under the rubric of safety workplace safety or something else that they all have to get a shot or. Have to have to undertake certain preventative medical measures that the federal government deems are appropriate, even in the face of, of you know, significant medical evidence. And, and this is, this is part, I, I, I mean, this is a little bit, I, I characterize this a little bit like the withdrawal from Afghanistan, Tom, yeah. which was done apparently on the, on the whim. Of the president, who said, "I want us out of there. I want us out of there now." This is now, and and the courts have taken uh, taken cognizance of this, or taken notice of this, that the president has said, "I want everybody vaccinated," and that's it, and that's all I'm going to say, and, and do whatever it takes to make everybody get vaccinated, and that's what we're seeing, and and it's it's falling through. <clears throat> I, I got I got asked by somebody at some point, "Well, isn't this you? You sound like a conspiratorial." kind of or that you've got a conspiratorial kind of mindset. And I said it's not it's not a conspiracy in the sense that you have all these government agencies calling each other figuring out how they're going to do this. It's a conspiracy if you believe that when the president says, I want this to happen, and the, the entire government bureaucracy aligns with that and says, Hey, we think that's a great idea and, and they all they all swing every bit of power that they've got toward making this happen, and that's what you're seeing. We saw that with the anthrax vaccination cases that I was involved with about 20 years ago, and we're seeing it now with this mandatory vaccination program, where every single federal agency is swinging everything that it can in its power to make people do
1: this. Well, you know, it's, uh, we're going to break here in a second, but I'll, I'll, I'll steal 30 seconds. I don't, I don't know the answer, Lou, I never do, I mean, because it, this is above my pay grade, but I've been getting, as I usually get from listeners, and thank you. I get all kinds of studies and things coming. And and what's interesting here is the 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 the, uh, lady from South Africa who first well first published identified this particular strain. If yeah, the latest one. if, If 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 you listen to her, she's talking about way more contagious. She hasn't had anybody in the hospital. They, uh, the, the symptoms. Well, has anybody else. She, she doesn't, you don't lose your taste, you don't lose your smell. It, it is almost like another, uh, group that is coming through. It doesn't appear to, uh, the vaccinations don't seem to help whether you get it or not, but you get basically a running nose, you get a cold. Now, I'm sure someplace somewhere somebody's going to die from it, but, uh, the, or, or, or because they had something else or whatever. I said, but if you contrast that, the studies that she's running on, and a couple other places that are doing the same thing, with the Pfizer president being on TV saying how important that even though the first two shots work were, were, don't work that the booster does. It's almost like somebody is trying to do some science somewhere. Not that I, you know, I, I don't know her enough to know. I don't know her at all. But it, there, there's definitely a different tone, that these two pieces of information are meeting in the middle. And I, and I don't know who's right, but it sure seems to me I, well, logically. Unless the booster is different from the first two, I don't see how if the first two don't work, the booster is going to. W- what am I missing? I mean, I, I mean, if, it, if well, the, the the short answer is that that the, these vaccines do not stop
2: catching it or transmitting it, they mitigate the impact. If the Omicron variant is what we believe it to be, what I say we, the scientific community believes it to be, that is a more contagious but less virulent strain of the, vac- of the disease, then it makes perfect sense that the vaccine, would, would which mitigates the impact of the, of the more uh, virulent varieties of, of COVID, it makes perfect sense that the vaccine would have a longer-term effect against a less virulent uh, ver- version of the uh, virus. Wow, that's a lot of Vs. That's a lot of alliteration there.
1: Well, S&P futures down 13. NASDAQ futures down 59. We've had three solid, I mean really solid days of rally. We'll see if that keeps on. Right now, uh, it's not. We'll, we'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks.
3: How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox.
4: 8810, or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, jocks. stocks and jocks.
1: You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, I'm Barry and I'm, <clears throat> I'm, oh, He's Mr. Dave S. on the board. We have Samuel Michaels with us as well. SB Futures down 14. NASDAQ Futures down 58. We... We can snap to the plus on that in a second. I've seen last few days; Nasdaq has, has run fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred points in ten minutes. We can we can cover this sixty back into the plus in a second Dave. We're not we're not about to worry about this. Dow down ninety six. Individual stocks, nothing really in the Dow uh, doing, much, doing much of anything. The biggest mover I've got is uh, well, I got Verizon down on uh, ninety one cents. Makes well, that's not Verizon; it's Visa down ninety one cents. So not much going on there. Uh, over in Europe. Again, quiet quiet to the downside. DAX down 22.1%. Puts it down 13.2%. Geck around down 12.2%. So like I said, snoozy, snoozy to the downside. Over in Asia, Nikkei down 135. They were up huge yesterday. It's 0.5%. Shanghai, however, is up 35. These guys have been, uh, the Nikkei market and the Chinese markets have not been in lockstep uh, pretty much for a while now. Anyway, Shanghai up 35. was a full 1%. Hang Seng up 257, 1%. They're playing catch-up because they were down more than anybody else last week. Yesterday, Dow was only up 35. S&P was up 14, NASDAQ up 100. But I mean, that's, that's on the heels of two huge days in a row, especially the NASDAQ. So a big bounce there. Uh, bonds, uh, 1.49, actually 1.50, down one basis point. The bond, uh minus four basis points, back down to minus 0.35. These all, uh, the bonds were sold off yesterday, you know, so the rates were going up. Uh, Japan on change at point zero four. Oil down 58 cents, 71.78. Brent down 62 cents, 75.20. Natural gas down 4 cents, 3.77. And I'm gonna talk to Dan Janinas a little bit about what why why that is way down there and some of his companies that they do natural gas stuff. I hope they're all hedged. R-Bob down a penny at 2.13. Gold down 9 bucks, 17.75 as gold continues to be hunkered in a 17.70 to 17.90 range. Silver down 26 cents, 2212, uh, copper down 6 cents, 432, and we've got, uh, Bitcoin down, uh, 1379, 49,338, uh, pretty far away down from 63,000 from a few weeks ago. And they had a bunch of Bitcoin people on CNBC yesterday, and I had to listen to these guys. And, you know, David, there's a whole new asset class. We, we just made one up. Just saying. Right. Can we make up a, a stock with, with, you and me and Lou just make it up and everything trading for you know five hundred and say, well if it's five hundred, it
0: must be worth five hundred even though we got nothing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got for us, Traveling Weather Sports? Good morning. Six thirty nine Chicago. Uh currently in Chicago it's thirty four and cloudy. We're gonna have a high of forty three today. There might be some a little mi- wintry mix later this afternoon. For our Phoenix listeners, it's uh start of the day at fifty three and cloudy. We'll hit seventy for a high and sunny. Traffic this morning, uh A little busier than usual for this early, um, major buildup on all our roadways. I do have an accident to report on the Eisenhower just west before um, 25th Street uh, congestion stop and go traffic. In sports, the NBA, the Bulls get smoked by the Cavs 115-92. to The Suns will play Boston tomorrow night. In the NHL, the Blackhawks take on Montreal tonight, and Arizona hosts... The Panthers tomorrow night. NHL action. Steelers at Vikings tonight. Bears Packers week Sunday night. And Arizona host the Rams Monday night. And one, and, uh, one other note. The annual Army Navy game will be played Saturday. One of my favorites. Back to you. I got to believe Lou's going to that.
2: Uh, I have not, I have not been to the Army Navy game. Uh, but, uh, I, I played at a couple of Air Force, Army and Air Force Navy
1: games. Um, um, which one of they, those is bigger? Oh, Army Navy's the granddaddy. I mean, if you got when you guys played, which which one of your? Um, when, when, you know, when I was there, Chief, we were terrible. We were a terrible
2: football team. In fact, and all the service academies had terrible football teams. So it was not the kind of the Commander in Chief's Trophy had just started. So it was. I mean, it was sort of a big deal. For us, for us, both games were were crucial because we we these were people we could conceivably beat, and so both games were both games were pretty important. But we could never um, at that time. We we I don't think we ever won a game at Navy or at Army, but we beat them both of them at our at our home field. One of the so now I'm 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 rabbit holing a little bit. One of the funniest sports columns I read um, was called the Bottom Ten. And it was a humorous sports column that was national that talked about the ten worst football teams in the, in the, uh, in college football. Uh, it, they were like division one teams. They, they didn't have those divisions then, but they were division one teams. And, uh, you know, regularly in the bottom ten was the Pentagon, <laughs> Army, Navy, <laughs> and Air Force. And, uh, I remember them referring to the Army front four as the famous Maginot line. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, they didn't go. Th- they never went through the Marginal Line. They went around it.
5: Well, it it, it the, the the point was well taken. Yeah. I But I I remember reading that and thinking that's a pretty good historical <laughs> yeah. historical reference. They well, could have they
2: could have applied it. They could have applied it to us too. I mean, it it just so what. I mean, as, as things have developed, there's probably um, for for Air Force probably more important that we uh we beat army uh, because we're, we're we're closely affiliated with them historically um army's had a army's had a, a a reasonably good football team uh the last four or five years which is good because they would do they were they were horrible for like two decades or three decades they've had a reasonably good football team for the last five or six years and and have won have won the trophy I'm not sure they want to be playing Navy right now. We, we beat Navy handily earlier this year and they, they were in the throes of some organizational and, uh, and, and just proficiency struggles. I don't get that impression right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that Army wants, was going to be really excited about playing Navy, uh, or would want to play them at this stage. goes, which goes back again to the old, saw that you and I are familiar with which is a lot of times it's when you play the teams
1: yeah
2: oh yeah so that's a great I mean that the the pageantry of that football game is fantastic because you have two schools that literally go back to the you know the 19th century in terms of their traditions and in terms of their uh, you know their, their culture and you know and, and they're special places and so um, all the service academies are and so uh, to see that on display with these kids I think is a is a is a big deal and uh, I mean I I, I, love the, I love the fact for example that Donald Trump went to those games all the time I don't know if the, if Biden is going to go I, I I would doubt it because I'm not sure they can get enough drugs into him to prop him up on the yeah. sidelines long enough to, to say hello but I love the fact that, that Trump went to those games, and I think Obama went to went to a couple of them, and Bush made a point of going to them. Um, I, I, I think I think it'll be uh, be pretty neat. and i'm I'm kind of gratified that they're playing it, you know they're playing it late uh, so that it gets the kind of stage that it deserves.
1: Well, good for them. I hope it's going to be a good one. I, um, you know Lewis, as we, as we talk about this in, intrusiveness, you know and, and it's everywhere. nobody can even really deny. There, there's there's a, this intrusiveness of of government pretty much everywhere, and I but I I am very concerned. You're seeing
2: it manifest, though. You're seeing it really manifest with this COVID thing.
1: We are, and and,
2: and I again, I'm litigating this stuff right now. It, it's remarkable to watch the courts work on taking this, try to take this stuff and and, and look at it, and you you really do understand when you read these cases. Well, first of all, how incredibly difficult it is. For the average person to have to fight the government over something like a uh, something that ought to be, and, and frankly, we had, we have laws passed to prohibit the conduct that the government's engaging in right now with with vaccine mandates and and force and, well, the, uh, the selectivity forced vaccination.
1: Um, way back to when God, when John and I first started doing some radio stuff, I remember who the hell was president, but. Uh, Probably was before Obama was in, so it had to be Bush. Uh, Nixon? No, wasn't tr- tricky dick. <laughs> no, uh, at least you didn't say Truman. Uh, the uh, I, you know the the, uh, the what my concern in all this is is that the is when you take away pieces of there. There's nothing more spectacular and fascinating. And that's why I've spent you know a lot of my life studying it. Is how a free market economy works. And how, but but also how vulnerable it is. It's if I had to make it a, a, a uh, comparison with a a fully functioning free market economy, I would say it's probably the closest analogy would be to the human body. Nobody knows what's working first. Nobody knows what got there first. Nobody knows if it came first the chicken or the egg. But it's it's just working. And if there's a if there's an opportunity. Somebody will fill the void. If you, if nobody's making 16 penny nails, somebody will figure out a way to make 16 penny nails because they know on a construction site they need them. That's the beauty of it. And and, 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 the more control you get, the let, the more you lose that. You end up with, you know, the Russian nail making companies, as I learned in college. They, they were, they made nails by the pound. All they made was railroad spikes. Well, duh. They don't help you out too much except on railroads. So. So, so let me, let me give you an anecdote.
2: I was in the Soviet Union in uh, 1980, and uh, I, I was working in an official capacity, and went to the U.S. embassy to talk to the air uh, attaché for uh, for the Soviet Union. After I'd arrived in Moscow, and he was asking me where I, I was staying at a at a place called Borosia uh, Hotel, Gostinitsa, which was a five thousand room flea bag. Uh, on Red Square. And, it was the largest hotel I, in the
1: world, right? Until the yeah, uh, yeah.
2: until the Las Vegas Hilton was built. Something like that. And, and anyway, it, it was, it, but you, you can't imagine the differences. Anyway, I went in, got checked into my room, and then went over to the embassy.
1: Did you have a bathroom and, in the room? Did everybody have a I'm bathroom? Sorry? Did everybody have a bathroom in the room?
2: Well, I did. And that's where the story comes in. So I get to the embassy, the Eretzha says, tell me real quick, because I haven't been over to the Russia in a couple of weeks, was there a toilet seat on your toilet? And I said, no. <laughs> and he started laughing. And I said, what? what's going on? And he goes, well, you know, in the Soviet Union, plastics are considered a defense commodity. And, you know, the toilet seats are made out of plastic. There's, there's one or two facilities in the entire Soviet Union that produces toilet seats. And they're made out of plastic, and they do them on injection plastic injection molding. And the the, the incentive plan for the uh, people running the factory is how many toilet seats you produce. And when plastic gets when the, def, the defense industry and the Soviet Union starts sucking up all the plastic, these guys can't can't get enough plastic to make their quotas. So what do they do? So you end up getting and sucked I, into the toilet. Well, no. They, they What they do is they use the absolute minimum amount of plastic that you can use to fill the injection mold. And they all know what that is. And so they continue to produce toilet seats in the appropriate numbers, but they're like wafer-thin. <laughs> and what <laughs> happens is when you plop down, and the average Russian behind plops down on a, to- a paper-thin toilet, plastic toilet seat they crack it. and so the first person that sits on it might be okay but the second person that sits on it gets their bottom pinched and so the russians will not sit on those seats they tear them off when they see, them. God. <laughs> they see them. and i said so the toilet seat situation is a measure of defense production and he said yeah
1: <laughs> well you know this is not uh Somewhat, you know, we're not, in, not necessarily into potty humor, but when I was, I used to do a lot of bike riding, I remember, hopefully I can do some more this summer, but if you go to the I&M Trail, there's a, there's, and this is the Forest Preserve, and there's a, it's a seven mile trail, real nice, you spin around seven miles, you're good to go, and uh, right, right next to the I&M Canal, right? So, uh, yeah. well they've, they have the, the the men's room, and instead of having a toilet seat, I don't David, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen these, the, the 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 toilet is metal right it's some some sort of metal but the top of the toilet instead of having the toilet and then the seat on top of it the top of the toilet is a the metal has come out comes out of a mold that looks like a toilet seat yeah not so sure how clean that thing was but I'm uh, just saying i never i saw that and i go well there's Poor an american in, there's an american invention um hey but... Yeah, well, what, you know is, well, here that, my that would... what i want to ask you since you're my our most, uh, worldly wise sort of dude that comes on. Oh, um please. Well, what I mean around the world stuff, my, my brother Dan, uh, you know, we, we both watch different stuff. That's what makes brothers, you know, we, we compliment each other. Of course, we can argue a lot too, but nothing major. He's a good guy, great guy, president of PTI Securities. He watches this thing called a world food, uh, price situation. Do you ever see this little, I mean, I've brought it up with you before.
2: I'm familiar with it because you've you've talked to me about it.
1: It's the FAO food price index. Now, where I go with this is, I mean, one of the, one of the problems you have when government starts messing around and and dictating things. Uh, every time you do something, what, what what's the you know who's the famous uh, I was going to say Oriental guy? There's a term term from the past. It's probably politically incorrect. Asian philosopher said, "No man can do one thing." whenever you do something uh, I think well you do- it's
2: either Confucius the what I would say would be Confucius or Sun Tzu or, or uh, not Sun Tzu uh, um, the I Ching the guy that wrote the I Ching but, but okay
1: so I mean so whatever you think you do you think you just do one thing but actually there's probably repercussions elsewhere that cause other things to happen I mean we have uh, for whatever reason we have people in charge that have decreed that this serious inflation is the way to go now there's some motivating factor with that I keep talking every day about it and people probably have nausea but uh, somehow some way there's a drive to do this. Now, my guess is it has probably something to do with the federal the federal government paying back incredible amounts of loans with dollars that to be worth appreciably less than the time they took the loan out would be my guess. But I mean, but that would be the logical way to go about it, but it may not be that. It may not it may just be that the people who are rich want the assets pumped up and they're being pumped up. And they can talk all they want, Paul, they're going to do this inflation, that for inflation. They have no intention anywhere in the next six months, year, two years, until they're forced to somehow and I don't want to see that day. Uh, they're, they're not they're not going to turn this bus around because it, it feels so good for Home Depot to raise prices every day. You look at the combinations, it's almost like choreography where, all of a sudden, there's all these combinations in these these industries, and now we're putting inflation on top of stuff. And we have a population that, by and large, hasn't gotten a raise. And even despite the fact that the ten dollar people we're working for is now fourteen or fifteen, that's a pimple on the ass of an elephant in today's price. But my point yeah, is, I
2: saw, I saw that wages had gone up something like four percent, but the prices had gone up six.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so one of the things that you have to worry about because these guys don't, and I guess the the thing that maybe you and I are from a generation where when you went to school and I, I I don't remember nowhere near a school now, but you hear John Flanagan and, and Kevin, oh you know, Kevin teaches different kinds of stuff how to how to deal with things in the workplace today and I think that's a fascinating way to go about it to help people out, to get jobs, get stuff. Anyway, the uh you don't see anybody ever following things through. When the people in the city of Chicago make these decisions And the governor makes these decisions, and the people in Washington, whether it was Trump or Biden, I don't think any one of those people has an intellect that could get anywhere near the education that you and I have. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pulling rank mentally, because I mean, obviously, if I was that smart, I'd be, you know, I'd have a a boat like uh, Bill Gates or something, which I don't. I don't have a boat at all. But what I'm saying is, they don't, they don't seem capable, not just of following things through, because that's very hard to do. I don't even think they know that they need to follow things through.
2: Oh, I don't. I don't think they. I don't think they worry about that. But I, I, think, th- I think. I think. I think they worry about. They worry about the headlines. I mean, our, our political consulting class drives concern about headlines for five minutes, and then it's on to the next crisis because they know or they believe that the, the attention span of the American public is comparable to that of a gnat.
1: Well, which it and probably so is. So
2: they can. They can make a decision, hoist up the headline. You know, Biden saves economy, or Biden, you know, pumps four trillion into the economy, and and lead it, and move on to the next thing. Because most voters, at least most of the people are going to vote for them, are not saying, "Wait a minute, what are the what are the implications of pumping four trillion dollars into the economy in terms of the way we're looking at doing it right now?" But so that, that how does it for prices or whatever?
1: How does that? That? I mean it's been a long time since I've been in school. Milton Friedman's been dead for 25 years, probably. Yet, when somebody were to say, we're gonna, we're gonna inflate the economy. And the question ought to be, whoever it is, wherever you are, if you're sitting in the Oval Office, if you're sitting in a, you know, the Treasury, the the Federal Reserve, somebody, there there needs to be an adult at the table that says, okay, if we're gonna do this, here's the good stuff that's gonna happen, uh, maybe for us or somebody. Right. What about the bad stuff? What are what are the implications, and how do we handle them? And and one of the things with inflation, and the thing that I, that I constantly rail about is it's never even. Some people benefit from it, and some people don't. Oh, but that's I,
2: what that's what's so astounding about this, chief, is that the traditional, you know, base of the Democratic Party, blue collar, you know, employees who are are working in in jobs that that. Are absolutely necessary, but may not pay as much. Are are paralyzed terribly by this stuff. That's that and, must and, be there, but it benefits. It benefits the elites. I think, well uh, uh, the elect. Let me call them the elect.
1: But but, Lewis, Well, let's let's talk about that for a second. But I want to finish where I'm going with this because I mean, maybe I'll finish where I'm going with this first. And then we'll, we'll cut back to that. I, uh, when you start talking about this, we say what's what's going to happen? What if we raise the price of Food, no, this, is my brother should be on, cause this is his, he's once you get, most, most people, most people in the world, how's that for a, a, a lame line, but most people in the world can afford essentially five hours a day to eat on. You know, my, demand was going through, here's, here's the minimum wage in Egypt and the wage in, uh, God knows where, you know, for the regular people in Saudi Arabia, for this and Basically, the rest of the world has to, has to eat on what it comes down to. For if you pick the number, it's five hours a day. And, and when the, and on this FAO food price index, the column you want to look at, there's meat, dairy, cereals, vegetable oil, and sugar. The column you want to zero in on is cereal. That's essentially what you make bread with, right? So when the price of this gets up over five bucks a day, you not only have problems, you and I going to the store and buying steak, where we could cut back the chicken and we can, it's just as good for you or better. These guys, we're talking about not being able to eat. Okay, so yeah, the last time this food this food price index got to 142 was in 2011. That area in there, and one, 2008, the first time, and 2011, 2012, isn't that when we had all those upheavals in a lot of those places, the Arab Spring and all that stuff, or somewhere in yes. that area? Well, now we're back up to 142. So it's not just inflating. The prices so Home Depot can make a fortune because somebody in Congress owns Home Depot stock or some crap. We're talking about major re- repercussions in, in, in billions and billions of people when you do stuff like this just because you borrow too much money and you want to float the dollar up and the rest of the world's going with you in uh, Japan and well, Europe.
2: Well, I get it. Well, well wait, till, wait till the implications, and I realize we're almost at the end of the hour, wait till the implications of renewable forced Consumption of renewable energy start start hitting as they are hitting in Europe right now with with what's happening in Germany and and uh, Italy and a number of other a number of other countries that have forced this in. Where do those start hitting big time? And you start looking at your electric bill or your your heating bill going through the roof because or or not or, or not being available like we see in California because of the the failure to to adequately stock your stockpile uh generating resources uh, appropriately. Wait till that starts hitting people if you want to see social unrest. Well why did, telling people in Central Europe they can't heat their homes.
1: Well why did the didn't Germany uh close all their nukes like ten years ago and now now, yeah, now, that, yeah, now they, they didn't they, kill. That's yeah.
2: electricity in Germany is something like forty or fifty percent higher than it is in France where they they've gone nuclear. And, and the French have said we're going to use nuclear energy for our generating. It's carbon. It's carbon free, and the technology is safe, reasonably safe, or as safe as, as other power generating technologies. And uh, we can we can do this. So that, that's what they they made a national decision to to do it. We should have been doing this, but our green movement and the Germany is aligned closely with the the German green movement, which says no, never, never to nuclear power ever. We don't care that it's carbon-free, and we don't care that it provides a long-term stopgap uh, measure before we get to decent renewables. We're not having it.
1: Uh, Lou, is the, is the concept of the... We'll talk about this maybe next week. Is the concept of the breeder reactor still off the table? Is it never coming? We're never going to have one?
2: Um, you know, I haven't read much on, on breeders, but the, but the technology is still there and still you know still viable in terms of producing more fuel than they use. Yeah.
1: Well, wasn't the idea that it could take virtually all the nuclear waste from the other ones and you could feed them into this thing and you get basically new stuff? There
2: there is there is that technology. Um, what I've been seeing is the use of the uh nuclear waste or, or you know like just fuel rods um, being uh which are still high, highly radioactive being used as a source of heat for short-term that is like 10 or 15 years short-term generation of of um power in, in a sealed you know like a sealed reactor so it's comparable to the kind of stuff they put on mars or the moon for for power generation it's basically a heat source that that then you know turns a turbine you know vaporizes something to turn a turbine that that generates electricity
1: well Luke, have a good weekend I hope you get some snow so uh there isn't any ski place that's open Oh no, the ski places are open. They're making snow. But
2: but they're most of their you know, most of their runs aren't open. Yeah, you know, you've got you have places with
1: only one or two runs open. But for one hundred and fifty bucks a day that's, you need more than one or two that's runs. That's right. Well, take care of yourself, buddy. S P V is down fifteen, NASDAQ is down fifty Be You're right back, Mr. Dan Janitas.
3: Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks,
7: jocks, stocks and
1: jocks.
3: jocks. You are out
1: of control! Right here, right now, right here, right Right now, right Right now. Hello welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howey, Mr. Brett Weber on the board. SP Futures, down 14. NASA Futures, down 55. We can cover that ground and be positive here in a nanosecond, but we'll see if we do or not. Uh, Do we have Mr. Dan? Yes, Dan. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? All right. You might not be so good. if you? I got I got guys with questions lined up for you already here. Okay. Um, and they're, they're interesting ones because I don't know the answer to them. First one is: Ask Dan where interest rates are going to be in five years. That's a that's a good
6: question. That's a <laughs> yeah, that's a tough <laughs> question. I would say with a lot of confidence, they're going to be higher than where they are today.
1: Um, well, we 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 could have got one of the bums on the street to say <laughs> how high. Everybody, this guy wants to know exactly how high, and Dan will know is what he told me. <laughs> um,
6: it's it's kind of hard to predict. Um, you know, it's it, it's easy to predict either direction or or number, but it's hard to predict both. But um, there's no question we're going to see higher rates. You know, as inflation goes uh, continues continues to go up here, and again, it's part of the cycle. Um, you know, average average rates over time, I, I'd say if you look over the last uh, 10 years, I, I would, you know, ballpark 10-year in the range of 5%. Um, but, you know, so many different things can happen that could impa- impact that uh, decision going forward. It, um, we've been in a low, part of the reason that we've been in a low interest rate environment for so long has been this this sort of, sl- you know, slow, steady growth that we saw, especially during, um, you know, say over the last Twelve years, um, we've seen what I would refer to as slow, steady growth, and, and rates, uh, interest rates like that environment. They don't like, um, you know, they don't like excessive growth because during periods of excessive growth, like what we're talking about now today, uh, like the numbers that we should be getting tomorrow, the inflation numbers, those are bad for interest rates. In other words, interest rates will go up, um, prices of the bonds will come down. So we're likely to see an increase, um, you know, in the short run from some of the inflationary expectations over the next year. So if they were to say, "Where well, do you think rates are going to be a year from now?" I would probably say double where they are now, and in five years they're probably going to be another double from there. So some, something in the range of five percent, you know, if I had to put a number on it um, in the ten-year range. I
1: think that makes uh, a lot. Of my, I guess as a follow-up question, this is from from me uh... when. when well, when I was like I said, when I was in school, I keep t- I've said about ten times a day, but uh, the the history, the monetary history, people used to go back, you know, basically, I don't know how to, in their mind anyway, they traced it back to the Stone Age, and they said one of the most uh, I don't say a word can it be a can can be a constant constant one of the most constant constants in the economic world is is the risk free rate of interest. And this well, this is what this you know. This guy who taught history of economic thought was that essentially forever the risk-free rate of interest has been somewhere between maybe two and a quarter and three percent I mean that's been the that's been the price for somebody else to use your money when you were pretty sure almost totally sure you were getting it back whether you, know, you lent the guy a hundred stones you had to bring a hundred and three back at the end of the year type of thing and and then on top of that you would add the implied inflation rate so if you thought inflation was going to be 3%, then your, then your rate was going to be 5.5. You know, the 2.5 plus the 3. Now, is that, no, you're right, the last 10 years it's not been anything but that as the Fed has done their shtick, is they've essentially, well, since 2000, I was, I looked yesterday, the economy's up 2.3 times and the amount of money in the system is up 5 times. Right, so they've, yeah. they've pretty much bastardized the whole, the whole formula, but do you think that those those old numbers that I just described, where the real rate of interest ought to be, and it always has been, two and a half, three percent 3%, do you think that's totally gone now, or is that still the truth beneath all the stuff the Fed's doing?
6: I think it's still the truth um, beneath everything the Fed's doing. I think the reason that we're so focused on it today is that there is this, you know, that those numbers have, have really been amplified. Um, and and going forward in the near term, it's likely that we're going to see an even, you know, we're going to we're, we're going to see those numbers go up um, just because of the money that's continuing to be put into the system. So, for example, if the spending bill does go through and there, you know, the tapering doesn't go as quickly as possible, and the rate increases don't come as soon as they as necessary, we're going to, you know, you're exactly right. I was think I was thinking the exact same thing that that the risk-free rate suddenly does not um, become as significant, nor does it become as accurate, which is, I think, really more um, to liking. And and you really have to normalize when you're looking over a period of time. So we tend to, you know, we're in a very reactive, you know, we have a very reactive Fed. We're in a very reactive period. Rather than anticipating what's going to happen as as we're supposed to do as um, financial and investment professionals the Fed has been looking at numbers from the past the past quarter the past day or the past week um, and really what they should be doing is anticipating where things are going to be in the future and since we've gotten off of that uh, forward looking um, projection estimate um, way that things have been done for for most of my career at least um, i think we're you know we've kind of moved into territory that's That's going to make it harder to to like pinpoint really the where that risk-free rate is, and really where the you know not necessarily where the direction of rates is going because we you know it's pretty we're pretty certain that they're going up, but we want to get be able to split out that real piece from the inflation piece.
1: Well, if you if you start to talk, if you use last month's number, and I'll even be charitable, we're talking ten percent inflation, right? Yeah. Well, the the rates. In the bank, are half of one percent if you can get it. So, so the real rate of interest is what minus nine, minus minus
6: twelve. Exactly. Yeah, and according to where the rates are right now, I think we are going to see um, some equalization. It's just going to take longer than it should um, because it has taken so long. I, I think I don't think we can expect any drastic moves to bring this back to some equivalent rate or, or some normalcy, if you will. But yeah, according to that negative nine and you know and that's kind of that's kind of dramatic um, and also I'm not sure how accurate that really is so
5: well, I mean, um, what, so that's I mean, where I
6: think we've lost some of this credibility in the you know with the Federal Reserve and with the decisions that are being made also I think the way that the Fed has been interpreting inflation has been quite different than it has historically and you know a lot of things in economics don't change over time there's still supply and demand you know money supply is still important there's some still, I still believe in the, in sort of the old school economics and if you're, you're trying to predict that we're in a new or different environment, it's very, it's, you know, it's very difficult. Now granted technology has improved productivity, but we're still, we're still in an environment that you expect easing and you expect tightening. And that, and that is what happens in the credit cycle, that's what happens in the economic cycle over time and, and There's no no reason to believe that that isn't going to happen uh, here in the near future. And I think people have to kind of broaden their viewpoints. And when I say people, I mean, the the Fed in particular needs to start looking at longer time periods and historically rather than looking, as many people do today, at very short time periods to make their decisions. People, as you know, are doing that on the equity side. Um you know the day trading phenomenal phenomenon and the and actually the liquidity has allowed people to do that, and the accessibility of information has allowed people to do that but it 's really you know for long term investors and for people who are really trying to understand trends and make money in the market long term, you really have to step back and look at the the long term cycles in the market and and um the noise that 's coming is uh there's there 's a lot of it and it 's coming. From a lot of different sources today, and um, I think those of us who have been in this business for a long time are used to noise coming at us, but we're also used to sort of we're also used to sorting out the information that is um, is um, frivolous or is not as is is not as meaningful, um, and kind of just sticking to what our long term.
1: Uh, well, outlook even the word I is. when you look at the uh, and I it always gets me aggravated a little bit when I see the. Uh, the, the talking heads, uh, they, they use the term market. And they say, uh, well look at where the market is. The market obviously likes this or doesn't like this. And look at where the market rate of, well the 30 year I have it here, I'm on my screen, the TYX is 1.87. Okay. Alright, so I'm gonna say, I don't even, I, I don't think that the term market applies, Dan. I mean, uh, you please tell me I'm wrong. Because in order for the market to f- supply, be, apply, The Fed's gotta get their ass out of the market. They are, they are the market. I mean, I, the market should be the guy that I have on the show every week, Dan Janitas, there should be a thousand people like you trading, and, and, I'm gonna, I will ask you, if somebody were to send you a a chunk of change right now, and you were to say, and and you look at the inflation, you, you made the comment, you think my 10% negative is a little too, a little too uh, over the top. Okay, maybe it is. I'm I sure as hell hope it is. To be honest with you, uh, what would it take right now on a ten year rate for you to put a client's money in there? Looking at the inflation picture, you see.
6: Uh, you mean in terms of where the rate would be? Well, no, right now, right now, look
1: Yeah, no. Looking at where the yeah, the, it would
6: be, it'd have to be more than double where it is now. If it's at one and a half on the ten year right now, it would have to be. I would, I would say, like, i start looking at it at three. And it would also have to be an economic environment that is going to be more stabilizing, which we could see, you know, in the next uh, year or so. We could see um, price stabilization. So from the point of view of inflation, we can see some price stabilization. So when we have, you know, the combination of higher rates, and when I say higher, I'd say at least 3%, and, and some stabilization in price, meaning that, the inflation outlook isn't being skewed by some of these other um, factors, like the oversupply that's being pushed in the system or supply chain or, or whatever um, the excuse of the day is. But but there's a there's just too much money that's out there right now to have any confidence in looking at ten-year treasuries and make, being able to make money there. I do think there's a lot of money to be made in um, bonds, but I think as we've talked and. There are income opportunities on the short end. I think high yield bonds still have a lot of um, opportunity. So I would be buying right today. I would still be buying short term high yield. Here's here's a good a good segue into um, a trend that's happened, but it really goes hand in hand with what you're talking about. There's been a lot of issuance in the high yield bond market, and in, and in recent months, and like record amount of issuance, and that is coming because the bond market is anticipating higher rates. So it's like get in and refinance while you can. Now one of the companies that we own that we've talked about um, over and over is Southwestern Energy. They're the, the natural gas company. And they're refinancing some of their old debt. And they're coming out with an issue this week. Um, over a billion. It's $1.15 billion. And it's predominantly due to restructuring. But they're 10-year notes and the, the yield is going to be 4.75. So now you have a double D-rated bond, 10 years at 4.75. Uh, you know, I, I don't find that overly attractive. Um, there, there. I think there is still some room for some what we call spread compression, and that's when you make money when the spread tightens. The difference between the yield on that 4.75 and the yield on that, you know the 150 where the 10 year is right now, so so I think that that so these southwestern bonds will outperform the 10 years. And again, I'd rather be in the corporate in the in the high yield name, especially where I think that company is in really good shape and they continue to get their balance sheet in better order. So so there I would still be interested. I still think there's upside in, in corporates, also because I do think that we're still in a growth environment that helps the corporate market. Um, but what is happening right now is we're seeing this flood of issuance from corporate from corporations and just as it's very typical when you expect rates to go up, refinancing's have uh have been the primary reason for this um, new issuance of high yield debt. And there's gonna there is absolutely an appetite for it.
1: Well then isn't so the uh if, if you, you really
6: people who are looking for yield right now and, and you know, you have a decent company offering Close to 5% for a 10 year, and that, that looks a lot more attractive than buying a 10 year
1: treasury. Well, aren't some of the, the companies, they really have, uh, I mean, um, I, we used to have somebody on the show that talked about this all the time, but he, uh, that actually the balance sheets in the last 15 years have gotten, with these companies, it's, they were so bulletproof, they're, they're, they're borrowing money and they're buying their stock back. Right. right? Because it's so, it's so low. But I would, I, you know, I'm gonna say that, uh, You're always more level headed on this stuff than I am. I'm going to say that with these guys pushing this money into the system really for 14 years, not just for the last, not just cause of COVID, I'm going to say if they start fighting inflation now fairly aggressively, we're still going to average four to five percent easy over the next 10 years. And if you add, add two and a half percent on top of that, I'm going to say for you or I to get a, a yield where our people can keep, uh, pace with inflation and, uh, actually make some money on the deal. I'm going to say I'm going to want seven and a half to eight right now in a ten year, in a ten year before I put anybody, in. I'm talking about a government. Now you're finding these right, other right. guys that are, that are yeah. better. Um, hey, I two more questions here for you. I'm sorry about this, but, uh, hey, well, you're the only person I get the questions lined up for. Um, if you, if you really want to, uh, trade interest rates, is there something better than a TBT? Do you have to, would you go over the future side or, Well, what would you do? I've been doing the TBT. It's not as liquid as I'd like. I mean, I've had some success in there, but it's not the most liquid place where you would think it would be. But it's the TBT is the, it used to be the, uh, uh, God, where the guys went out of business? Uh, uh, (laughs) back in 2007, I forget the name, uh, the, uh, the old, the old line firm went out of business. It was their 20 year plus ETF. Which one? Oh, the guys went out right after Bear started. They actually went out. They just went out. to Lehman. It used Lehman, to be, right. it used yeah. to be the Lehman twenty year plus yeah, sure. ETF, but now it's somebody else's. I mean, it's, I think it's a good ETF. I mean, it's it's essentially uh, the ETF for for long term bonds is a TBT, right? Uh, right. and, yeah, the, and,
6: you can, you and that's and that's one way to that's one way to dissipate is is um is through buying the ETF, and you know, it's perfectly okay if you're looking for you know if you're getting down to basis points, which you Which in this environment you would be because rates are so low. You look at off the run treasuries. So the difference between whatever the current going rate is for the current 10 year treasury. Look at the, you know, some treasuries that have been issued in years past that are yielding. And sometimes that differential, you can pick up a few basis points. Um, between you know the the, the old ten, one of the old ten years that's been out there you know it started out as a thirty year and now it's become a ten year so look at those bonds we call off the run and that's one way to add a few basis points to your yield and and the other thing to do is looking at the curve um, you know there's a lot of people who including myself um, who will look at Where you get the most bang for your buck as you go out the curve and how steep it is, and oftentimes it's in that five to seven year range. You know, like right now, I think we're saying that one twenty five is where the five year is. You look at interest rate risk. Is it really worth um, getting just twenty five basis points more to go out another five years?
1: I'm going to say no. And then
6: if you look, and then if you look within that five year area, go off again, off the run. To one that might be yielding 130 135 even and I think that would be the way to participate that might give you a little advantage over just buying the TBT you know that would be a a way that if you, if you want to find a little bit of value on the curve and you want to go off the run and liquidity is you know we're not there's no problem with liquidity right now in the market I don't think that's going to change anytime soon um the other thing we don't have a problem with, although I don't know if this is going to come up, is we don't have some, we don't at the moment have a huge problem with the, uh, with the credit worthiness. But, you know, we're looking at a debt ceiling and we're looking at some other issues that we may need to be concerned about down the road. And, you know, over the last few decades, there have been periods where we've looked at the credit worthiness of, of U.S. Treasuries and there have been concerns and oftentimes that will, you know, you'll be able to find some off-the-run treasuries. Again, not the ones that are that are um, the most recently issued ones, but some that have been out there for a while. And that spread is going to be even wider when there's some concerns about what's going on. With well, Dan,
1: why do you think, I mean, uh, I don't usually, I mean, we, don't, we don't usually walk down the political road. Uh, but my question is, I, I know this time, when I say this time is different, every time is different, right? You and I agree with that. Right. I mean, they're the same and then they're different. The thing that I find most amazing about this time down this road, you know, inflating the hell out of the place and, and you know, spreading money around for political reasons and maybe to, to, you know, to lower the value of the dollar you pay somebody the money back with, somehow or another these guys have been able, when I say these guys, these people, have been able to get all these other countries to go with them. So you got everybody doing the same thing. So it's not like they're pouring money into our system and that means the dollar is sinking like a rock compared to the euro, because the euro guys are doing the same thing. Right. It's, it's almost choreographed together. But uh, what, do, what do you think happens? Um, I, I don't see, I mean, right now the, the, the story seems to be we're putting money out there uh, for whatever reasons, good, bad, or, or just to put money out there, and we've got this inflation percolating up. But so far, the Fed is essentially covering... They're 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 the gorilla in the room. So they're buying enough bonds because normally what should happen, like you just talked about the credit worthiness. Normally, what should happen with the amount of money they're putting out there is interest rates should be going up, but they're not because the Fed is turning around and they're buying more by putting more money in the system. So they're essentially putting out the campfire by a big load of gas. It, it, it appears to me, but it's one of these days that probably will stop one way or the other. What do you think happens? If all of a sudden the federal government is paying, I won't even say eight percent. What if they're paying five when they're twenty twenty $23 trillion in in, uh, in the hack? I mean, what does what it what does that do to the rest of the budget? For God's sake, when you look at Medicare and Medicaid and all these other spots,
6: and I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think that's where we're going to be. I, I, I that is absolutely the direction that we're going in. So that that yeah that I that would certainly hurt the creditworthiness of the of of the um, of the dollar, and there may be, you know, I agree with you, though, that I still see the U.S. as sort of where everything starts, and then things move east, you know, to Europe, and and they continue to move east to Asia, so although oftentimes some reporters will talk about what's happened overseas, um, you're exactly right, most of those markets are really just following us, and if they might want to get a step ahead of us, because I know a few places have already Increase rates. I, I think Brazil, um, as the about two increases. Um, you know, their, their, their economy is going to be a little bit different, but they still, you know, we have the most experience. The U.S. has the most experience in this area, and the other countries are still following us. Well, they, but
1: they don't have the ability. They they can't. They can't same control. thing happened. Well, the same thing happened is Turkey. The guy I don't he, he just right. it was a couple of months ago. He canned his. Uh, his his, his his essentially his fed guy because he wanted to raise the interest rates well what because the the rates should be going up when they're not because they can't they can't if they print more money and, and have them run up then of course the money's just worthless they're going to be like Iran or argentina or venezuela so there's a there's a there's a limit to what they can do in terms of running their their, their what what's the interest rates in Turkey or what twenty percent or something it's yeah. A huge number. I mean, and that's not high enough because they they put so much money into the system. I mean, this this they're they're teetering on the edge of a of a big experiment here, and I you know I I hope it works out for all of us, but I don't see it. I don't I don't see a, a an example in history where somebody did this and somehow walked away unscathed. Have you?
6: No. In fact, we've seen the opposite happen with you know think of what happened with Japan, you know, and and with rates get going negative and. You know, even in Germany as well. So, and those are more developed, established, um, larger economies. So, um, I think it's, we're, we're still going to be looked at as the safe haven. We have sources of, of inflows of capital coming from, from, uh, all, all around the world. And a lot of that flow of capital is coming right from here in the U.S. So, I, I don't think we're going to be, we would be at risk. I would be very cautious about investing for yield in foreign countries right now. I would not be looking at, oh, here's an opportunity in Turkey because you can get this sort of rate. There's so many other factors when you're looking at, you know, the sovereign risk that's associated, political risk, and things can just change very, very quickly and you don't have the same, uh, you know, you don't have the same, uh, uh credit worthiness and you, you don't have the same... Um, there's no guarantee, but I'm I, I'm I'm trying to think of a word as close as I can to guarantee, but you don't have the same... You're not going to be able to sleep as well at night if you're invested in those companies. And one of the big things, and I think it's kind of a good thing that's happened with a lot of the focus on China now and the fact that they've been limiting... Um, you know, in general, it's very difficult to get information from the Chinese. And, and today... You know, there's the announcement that their Evergrande, the you know, the real estate deal, which is a high yield deal, um, is, is you know, they are filing Chapter 11, or, or they are filing for bankruptcy, I should say. They don't have a lot of experience in this area, so if you want to go go in, you're going to be in, going into a, um, a a risky situation on so many levels. Not only in an area that is new to the Chinese, but also you you have a lot of foreign investors that that are still um sitting back are not not gonna be interested in participating in this, do not have the um uh the sense of comfort that they're gonna do the right things through this workout. Yeah. And and I just don't you know, I, I think transparency is extremely important.
1: Well starts it, like status
6: work- we want we want company management to be transparent. So that's why we generally shy away from, you know, Chinese um, companies because they don't share. Yeah, it's isn't not as it, uh, to share that level of information.
1: Isn't the Evergrande stack down to like nothing?
6: It's basically down to nothing, and the and the bonds are you know the, trying to get a true valuation for the bonds is going to be very difficult in this environment. Just again because the way um, information flows, and you know I, I don't know that I would have. I'd have to really be an expert not only in the culture. There, but also in the you know the real estate market there, and, and really before I would make a decision to participate.
1: Dan, I have uh, one more question. We don't have the time today, but maybe you don't have the answer. Tip of your tongue either. I uh, way back in the day, I got I got stuck with a book. I, I, I was on a plane and I just happened to have it with me. It was fascinating. it Had to do with closed end funds that were actually a lot of them were put together in the twenties and so forth. So my stepfather read it. and He ended up trading closed end funds really till, till almost the he got too sick to trade. And, uh, he loved it, but now some of my clients are coming up with these closed-end funds that are not just stocks. They're, they're, uh, mortgages and those kinds of yeah. things. And I, my first thought is, this is more in Dan's wheelhouse than mine. Uh, my first thought was how the, who the hell marks them when you say there's a discount or a premium. Uh, next week, would you mind, going through that, because these things are starting to get around. I mean, you, like I say, you probably are well, way more versed than me. Talk about the closed-end funds that now deal in, like, distressed mortgages and things like that. Uh, is that an area that you uh, know something about? I'm, I'm guessing it is, because you seem to know everything sure. about this. So.
6: Yeah, in fact, one of the ideas that I mentioned was the vertical um, income fund, ticker symbol V-I-C-F, which is a um, closed-end fund with whole-owned mortgages. Okay. And um, the Portfolio manager of that fund buys the mortgages at discounts. So just as I can say I buy, you know, I buy corporate bonds at a, a discount, are uh, this portfolio manager buys the um, mortgages at discounts, and that's how they're able to. Um,
1: Why don't we tee that one up next week, because I think it'll be a fascinating subject. Uh, maybe I'll go through a little history of the closed-end funds and the stack side because it's fascinating there too. Virtually all. Yeah, oh,
6: absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely opportunity. And in this environment, you know, where we have liquidity, it's, it's, it's not a bad place
1: to be. Funny, funny thing is, before, like all the four or five real old ones that went back, they were all put together within like, like two months before the 29 crash. They all, right. <laughs> Baker Fentress, they all got bought by somebody else. Remember those names? Baker Fentress and,
7: you sure. know, uh, but anyway, they, they're all, they're all gone. But
1: SP futures down 17, NASA futures down 70. Dan loved it, buddy. Have a good week. Yep. Be right back, Stacks and jacks. Stocks, jocks, stocks, and jocks and stocks and You are out of control right here, right now, right here, right now, right now Hello Stocks and Jocks out, this on the board SP Futures down 20, 20 exactly NASDAQ Futures down 77.50 Dow down uh, 161, so we're starting to get some movement uh, Boeing's down 3 bucks, uh, Caterpillar down a buck and a half Mary Express down a dollar 43, so a little bit of movement so many stocks. Microsoft down a buck and a half. But considering the rallies we've had over the last few days, it's kind of a pimple on the behind of an elephant. This little sell-off so far. Uh, over in Europe, we've got DAX down forty-three point three percent. These guys are are lower than they were last time we did this. Uh, they were almost barely unchanged. Now they're down like at least a little bit. FTSE down twenty-five point four percent. Kekron down twenty-nine point four percent. So leaking a little bit. Uh, Nikkei down one thirty-five. That's point five percent. However, Shanghai and Hang Seng were up. Shanghai up 35.9%, Hang Seng up 257, and it's a positive 1%. We're still not exactly sure how they're gonna shed this Evergrande with another one like kinda right behind it, but it'll be interesting to watch. Just hope, uh, uh, a lot of, some of that stuff was dollar-denominated debt, and I sure hope nobody listening has, uh, any of that paper, but maybe somebody does. Uh, yesterday, Dow was up 35, S&P up 14, NASDAQ up 100, but that was three days in a row of big-time moves. Uh, bonds down two basis points to 1.48, 1 down 4 basis points, back down to minus 0.35. Japan unchanged at positive 0.04. Oil down 72 cents, 71.64. That's a full percent. Brent down 74 cents, 75.08. Natural gas down 6 cents, 3.75. Arbob down a penny, 2.13. We've got gold coming back a little bit. It was down 9.50, now it's only down 7.30. 17.78 is it's kind of mired in this. Looks like it's going to make the 1,800. The minute it does... It's like whack-a-mole down it goes, it just kind of settles into this high 1700 range. Silver down 21 cents, 22 18 as it continues to fly, uh, freely back and forth between 22 and 23 and a half never seems to break out anywhere. Uh, either way, copper down 7 cents, 431. We got crypto down 1400 to forty nine thousand two fifty three. is our favorite, well I'm not so sure what she is, favorite something something. Kathy Wood claims that big money is going to take Bitcoin to, uh, 500,000. There's a number. Big, big money investors could add 500,000 to Bitcoin's price. It's worth, whatever. I'm not going to go down that road. But David, what do you got for us, Traffic with the sports. By the way, with jobless claims, 184 versus 211 estimate.
0: Ah, uh, good morning. 737 in Chicago. Uh, weather currently is 35 and cloudy. We'll, we'll hit a high today of, uh, 43 with a uh, wintry mix possible. For our Phoenix listeners, Start today. It's 53 and cloudy. they will have a nice day. It's going to be 70 degrees and sunny. Traffic's pretty messy this morning. All major highways, uh, road, roadways coming into the city are very busy. There's an accident on, uh, Kennedy Report right before Harlem. The right lane is blocked and, uh, I-57 North right before, uh, 127th Street. In, uh, sports, NBA Bulls lose to the Cavs 115 and 92. Suns will play Boston tomorrow night. In the NHL, the Blackhawks take on Montreal tonight, and Arizona hosts the Panthers tomorrow night. NFL, Steelers at Vikings tonight. Bears-Packers week. That game will be Sunday night, and Arizona hosts the Rams Monday night. And on Saturday, we'll have the annual Army-Navy game. Back to you, Chief. I've always uh, wanted, kind of on the
1: bucket list, to go to a game up at Lambeau Field, and I thought that maybe I would go watch the Bears, but... I have no desire to go to a night game up there, and it—I mean, it's, I mean I, you know—I want to go to the show up at ten o'clock, do a little tailgating, you know, go to the game. And yeah, I've
0: done, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's been—it's been a while since I've done it, but yeah, I enjoyed. I Jen, is Jan
1: with us?
5: I am with you, Tom. Good morning.
1: Uh, good morning, hey David. I have a question for you. We were discussing this the other night. Of course, since nobody had the answer, we continue to discuss it. Uh, how the old the old Milwaukee fans? Do they still get? four games a year up in Green Bay? Like they used to, Used to, back when there was, actually there was a, uh, what, there was a 14-game season he had seven home games. Well, three of the games used to be in Milwaukee, correct?
0: Yeah. I yeah, they were. I, I don't know if they still have that. I think the right. people who had
1: the season tickets there are still still get the, I think they still get the three in Green Bay. I'm not, because the reason why I ask is our, our buddy Dr. J went up to, wa- to watch a game. Uh, I think he said he went to a 3.30 game with the intention of of driving home after the game. I don't know if somebody invited him up there. But he said it, w- it was one of the Milwaukee games. So he said the traffic from Green Bay back to Milwaukee was like something he never saw the whole way. So he thought he'd be able to get home, you know, by like 11-ish or so, you know, like one or something. He was, he said you got to be careful if you're coming home after the game it's not one of the Milwaukee games. I wa- and I wonder if they still get three or they get just one. Well, I don't know, to- I have to look that up.
5: I would bet they get three. I mean, if although I can't you know, prove that, but um, I can I can vouch for the horrible traffic of, on Milwaukee area roads on certain days. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh,
5: <laughs> it, it's right up there with Chicago. So,
1: well, that's why. I mean, we had some some people from the trading floor actually bought homes up in the Green Lake area. If you guys ever been up there. It's, it's really nice. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, Green Lake is the deepest lake evidently in Wisconsin. It's, it's real good size. You Great
0: know. fishing too. I've been there many times. Well, it's,
1: I love in the wintertime. Well, every, all the guys up there, the local guys are all, they're blasters, they're fishers. It's, you know, if it's Tuesday, they're blasting a goose or the next day they're, you know, blasting a deer or something. But I love it in the winter, we went up in the wintertime. The, the guys just drive the pickup truck right out in the lake and then they're sitting there, they're, you know, doing their ice fishing. I'm not so sure I'd be an ice fisher guy, but, um, I'll, you get you get to fish. I'll cook. You know, I, I, I want you, you show them to me, cleaned and everything else, and I'll, and I'll bread them and I'll cook them. But you do all the rest. I'm, you know, you sit out there, you go with the worms, you clean them. Other, other than that, I'm going to Jewel, you know, type of thing. Does <laughs> that does that make me less of a man, David? Or no?
0: What? You know, I'm not a big ice fisherman, but you, some of these some of these shacks they have is they have televisions in them. it's, oh, yeah. it's insane. It's like it's like being in a house. It's it's getting away. They from- take it very seriously. It's getting away from the wife, <laughs> and she's I'm okay. gonna leave that hours? one. I'm gonna leave that one alone. And she's happy
1: to see you go. How many hours are you gonna be out there? Good. Don't don't get frostbite. <laughs> the, uh, the the twenty four seven together. You know, you need a little break. I, I think, even if even if it's the best of worlds, David. Just saying. Okay, I'll take your advice. Well, I have a, I have a question for you. Uh, I got my buddy in the building, Salvador. He's going down to Mexico for. A month. He's got family down there and so forth. And he deserves a guy. Guy works real hard. Well, it comes to the end of the day, and they have nobody. Nobody to take care of the dog, right? And I go. Hey, you're leaving like tomorrow. What about the poor pooch? Well, of course, Audrey, uh Miss, you know, the, the lady who saved the goose in the middle of the road and everything else. Well, I'll take him. I said, Audrey only speaks Spanish.
0: <laughs> so, what do you think? Is that going to be a problem?
5: Just, just practice your language skills. <laughs> <laughs>
0: As long as you have treats, it's not a problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <I> think, <laughs> so I'm
1: getting the Wayne feeling knows. that either, either Audrey or I are going to end up with this this, this pooch for a, for a month.
0: Don't stop by my house. What
1: kind of dog is it? It's time? just a little poodle, I think. He'll be fine. Oh,
5: they're, well, they're
1: smart. They're yeah, bilingual. Not yeah. He's not going to take my arm off. I mean, he probably won't <laughs> like me, but, you know, he'll, he'll get over it for a, for a month, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. It's, you know there, are, there are problems in the world that you have to solve, you know. And I'm like, you're not, you know, I said you're not going to. If it comes to taking him to the pound or taking him to my house, he's coming to my house, you know, type of thing. The two of us will look it's at good each good. other and say, do we wanna, the right attitude. Yeah, dude. You know, do, do we really want to live together for a month? We really don't have much of a choice, do we? We better better make the best of it. So anyhow, uh, so John, what do you what do you what are you making? Of what we were talking about with Jan, Dan and uh, and Lou, some interesting stuff. Uh, I am kind of worried about this food price index. I don't know if you caught that piece. Um, this, this worldwide is now back up to, like, all-time highs. And I just, I, you know, it is so easy to criticize. Uh, you know, obviously some people only criticize one side or the other. I just see a, a total, a total lack of, i use the term, rigorousness of any policy they put through. of Even having some kind of an idea of where, all the tentacles of where it might go and who it might affect. I mean, uh you know we we're, we're so anxious that the market doesn't go out go down for the one percent people in this country that we're going to we're going to cause revolutions around the world by having you know somebody's somebody's bread cost ten bucks a day when they only make five minutes are, are we really willing to do that? It looks like we are
5: well i was listening to your discussion about the intellects of you know public officials, and I was immediately thinking about Kamala Harris as an example well yeah of, of somebody close to power well but, trump. Um, <laughs> well i mean I, I i as a lawyer, I would be at, at epic you know closings that sometimes went on for a week at a time with, with thirty attorneys running around conference rooms and all with their set you know agenda and area of expertise and trying to sell real estate or you know par big parcels of real estate or parts businesses whatever so I got to watch a lot of attorneys in action over the year and you know I could sort of figure out where I fit on the relative you know levels of skill. Or expertise, and I was sometimes closer to the bottom or closer to the the top. But I got to see how most attorneys function, and I got to say I never saw an attorney as utterly vapid and out of her element as Kamala Harris. And yet she was she eventually passed the California bar and became the attorney general and a senator, and now she's the vice president. And I don't see any any there there at all. So I think she's she's typical of a lot of public officials, though, that don't bring anything to the table other than. You know, they're beholden to people who have kind of fashioned them or pushed them, and they just spout whatever they're told to spout. And there's there's no thinking going on behind their their face. It's all just you know show and glows kind of stuff.
1: Well, that's uh, I, mean, I, I try and be you know I even on this stuff in my in my South Side. I always say we say prejudices, and it ha- doesn't really have anything to do with with color or anything like that. Not that kind of prejudice. But I have a, I have a, a, a serious. I mean, is there a Southsider, David, and John? that does not have a, a serious prejudice against elitism. Oh no,
5: that's, that's why we're Southsiders.
1: That's why we're Southsiders. I mean, there's a serious element of that. I mean, and I, I tell you what, I can't, I could not, I can't shake that out of me. I mean, I just the the people that who is the who is the 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 guy who was the Treasury Secretary forever uh, began with a G under Obama. Greenspan. No, no, he was a, no, not uh, Oh, Geithner. 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 And, uh, I read part of his book, excerpts that I was reading into some paper. And, uh, and I, I was thinking of him and then who's the guy who was just elected judge, uh, with the big, huge mess with the, the parties Garland. and the Kent can- mm-hmm. Garland. And I'm sure both of those people are probably really bright and, uh, you know, I, I, have a, I think Garland's actually not, not been crazed as a judge. He seems okay so far. I mean, if I agree with everything he says, but he seems well reasoned and he's willing to write something up and put his, you know, put his pinky on the line. I, I, uh, but I, you know, I have nothing wrong with him. But the, the idea, I was reading this thing in Geithner and every time the guy'd basically bleep up in school, the old man would say, well, we'll teach him. And he, and he'd get him like a, a job as a, as a staffer to like a big time senator or something. And the next, <laughs> the next year he was a staff. I mean, every time he basically bleeps up, the old man would stick him in a, in a job where, Anybody in the world would love that job. I mean, you know, we're no, nobody that we knew from the south side could have been straight A's anywhere and, uh, and, and, and done everything, could never, could never even hope to land as, as a staffer. I mean, There's, there's just a the, the garden path for these guys, and you just wonder, or women. And, and you know what? I, I don't begrudge them the path. I just begrudge the things they didn't learn along the way about people that they now are in charge of. I think that it's not like I don't like Geithner. I don't like uh, Garland. It has nothing to do with that. I I just think they they missed a lot of stuff along the way about people that that we care about, and and you can't expect them to to think about people we like when times are tough because they they never even met them. I mean, is, that, is that a fair way to say it? I just
5: yeah. The irony to me, Tom, too. Is, I mean, Geithner is, is a classic example of someone who's, you know privileges, you know, bailed him out and gave him a soft landing pad over and over again, and he, he ended up being a completely uncurious, unmotivated, self satisfied example of what's wrong with with government these days. But but Garland is another case because he is a outsider. <laughs> this yeah. is why I have to kind of always readjust my. Thinking about what the South Side, you know, does to people, or how cu- quickly you can shed it when you leave it, because he grew up less than a mile from where I grew up, around Seventy Ninth Stony Island. He's our age. I think he's born the same year as you and I. I thought
1: he was real young.
5: Oh, yeah, but he, you know, he moved out when he was like a f- high school age, and, and his family moved to the North, you know, suburbs to Skokie and Lincolnwood. Okay. Um, and 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 yet, I mean uh, you, you would think that you know i, I don 't live in the South anymore either, and a, a lot of the values though that I, I won 't die with you know were formed there, and I, the kinships that I had with people in, in, in my immediate area um, really were you know cross all sorts of cultural racial boundaries, and I, I value that still to this day, but I think Garland is a case of, of somebody who you know was able to shed a out of that, and he 's become a creature of. You know, people who, for better or worse, don't have the background he had, and have you know, enabled him to kind of turn away from it. Um, so it's it's a sad example to me because I, I just I'm appalled at, at Garland's behavior. Um, I mean, during the, the confirmation proceedings, the ill-fated ones where he didn't get appointed to the, to the Supreme Court, um, he was sort of a lesser figure than what was being said about him and the politicking behind getting that appointment through. But now that he's had a chance to flex his muscles as attorney general I, I don't think I could to be more disappointed in somebody so whatever values he was no, I'm it, talking about the guy was a judge
1: jo- but you know there's this morning uh, there was some traffic and so David was a couple minutes late so I'm waiting for him down at the, where he parks and it's, I'm right in front of this uh, what's that building David they do all the, it's it's a big time federal building if you're going for your naturalization and I don't know what else they do in there but it's a big building and it's every fed function and to man is in the place right so they got all these securities people running around. Well, of course, they're at this one door and I thought the door was, uh, you know, and all of a sudden they got four or five guys there. And, and so the guy comes down and I'm parked there, you know, and they don't want people parking there because they think you got a bomb in my suburban. So the guy, you know, he asked me to wind down the window, I wind down the window. And he goes, Oh, I know you're the guys waiting for the producer. And I go, yeah. And I go, what are you guys doing up there? Is somebody's the door open? He said, no, there's somebody, there's a guy who's non-responsive sleeping in the doorway. Now we're a black up. There's, there's how many tents, David? 40, 50 underneath this one vial. Oh, it's, it's really unbelievable. And, uh, it's tent city. Yeah, and there are people wandering from tent to tent. I mean, all his action's going on at you know, 10 to 5 or we're, we're 10 to 6. And so the, I'm thinking this, the ambulance is going to pull up and they're going to haul away this guy dead. All of a sudden, some guy rouses himself up. <laughs> Obviously the guy hadn't had a good meal or, a, you know, decent night's sleep. He starts hoofing it down the block. He, he, he all of a sudden became responsive. I'm going, where's he going <laughs> all this activity I mean, there's clearly John there's, there's there's a lot of bad stuff going on in this country and if you don't, I don't I'm not saying we're going to solve it but if you don't even notice it and you don't even care about it I, I can't believe that the time when nobody can get somebody for a job we've got more 30 and 35 year old people sleeping under under bridges I those, those, t- those two things can't be happening at the same time yet they are how can that be and just said on, on any on any sort of a level when when you've got people pouring so much money into the system to quote help people, how many people are grabbing all that dough out of the system before it even gets to anybody? I bet I bet none of those people underneath that bridge have gotten a dime from from government in the year they've been there. And yet, how many programs do we have? A thousand.
5: Well, could it be a worse place for a? Person who's lost everything or mentally ill or whatever else than a big American city today. I mean, you, you, they might think they've kind of hit the jackpot because there's lots of places they can hang out or or band together in 10 cities and, and will be left alone given the current climate of law enforcement, it seems. But overall, you would think, with, with the money that's been thrown around, you wouldn't have people in such numbers. Plus, there's and, nobody. And the fact that they band together makes me think that they are. Really, utterly
0: isolated. And John, they've been there a while. too. Oh yeah, I'll get it's you. been two years. Right. And they, they, they used to shag them out. And now they, you know, there's probably six tents on each side of the street. So there's probably twelve tents as I walk by them every morning when I park. Well, the, the guy, the two guys on
1: the block here, they're permanent now. I mean, they look like it's like they're condominium. I got these. There's the two guys that are on our block. But I, I, I just, I, I don't understand it first of all, when I first came down here, and the the floor, the trading floors were vibrant, the people who had money were on this side of the loop. I mean, right? I mean, uh, and you had a group of, how many guys would you say, David? Ten, I'm going to say old duffers, you know, probably Vietnam guys that, you know, just never made it back in society, would hang around and they used to, they could actually make some dough. A guy'd have a big day, he'd throw these guys a 20. Or That wouldn't, some guys, everybody had their lucky, their, well, they used use the term on the floor, their lucky bum, right David? Yeah, actually, if, that's what they did. Yeah, they guys did make money. And if, and if you had a big day, you'd give the guy 10 bucks walking across the street. I'm not saying they, they could go buy a house, but they, they had enough for the $15, you know, flop or whatever they want to call it. There's nobody down here. I can't, I can't imagine a worse place to try and, to get money out of people going down the expressway in these streets, there's nobody here. I mean, <laughs> I mean even even if you're, uh, you know, so it's not like they're here so because they, they plan on getting money from people. here is there's nobody down here to get money from it. I just all this stuff just doesn't match up for me, John. And I, and I don't know how it, is it, it, the, the political people. I mean, how many how many people are we worried about in the Jesse Slomont trial? Who cares? Who cares? And yet we 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 got people. That are, that are, are, citizens of this country living under a bridge. Nobody cares if they're sick. Nobody cares if they're 35 years old. Nobody cares if they have mental issues. And, and down to the block, there's 15 uh, wanted dishwasher signs and nobody will show up. I mean, this whole thing is, it, it's like it's a nightmare that one of these days I'm going to wake up from, but I don't think so.
5: Well, you can see how the the, 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 the job pool, if that's the right word for it, has just completely pulled apart. And you, we've got people who, a, you know in, in a different time, maybe in, a, in with a different attitude at the top, these people would be employable at some level. There would be stuff for them to do they 'd be able to afford a room in a flop house and but remember when there were all those flop houses on Van Buren Street yeah. or Skid Row, these people did have shelter. It was minimal but but they they could kind of survive and and you know SROs were you know, you saw them in lots of otherwise affluent neighborhoods in the city. But they were they were housed in a way that gave them some dignity and, and some some protection from the elements and from other criminals and, and you know, just you know the, the, the bad things that can happen to people in a big city i don 't see it, even that minimal support network being supported or available and, and what 's happened is that that everybody 's taken a hands off approach to it so that it tends to just flourish on its own there's no attempt to Control it, or to really you know locate it in a way that's more hospitable, or you can track it better, or or give better services to people. It's it's a total isolation of, of this problem, and you're not even supposed to notice it.
1: No, you're not supposed if, to how notice how it. How can you how can you not yeah. notice it? Well, you, you you really have to you really have to either not be going anywhere, or you got to purposely look the other way. But I, I simple question: What happens if somebody gets sick? I mean, if you overdose, I suppose you end up you know in a, in a wagon somewhere, but I mean, if somebody get, you know, it is winter time. Do you just haul, haul everybody off the county? I mean, what do you do? You don't care? You wait till they die. I mean, I, these are questions I never thought I'd be asking in, in my city, and I guess other cities are worse, right?
5: Well, that's 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 what's really troubling, from what I hear and from what I've seen, and, and I haven't been out and about in other cities very much in the last couple of years. But Chicago is is not as bad off as places like Philadelphia or new york or baltimore where the, the, the infrastructure available to people who are you know substance abusers or street people or whatever else is just completely collapsed and and it's just taken over in ways that it's not designed to support an economy that you know uncontrolled and unsupervised it just it doesn't help the rest of the city at all it pulls everything well there down. you know
1: there you don't get to see anybody because a lot of people live underground in, in subway, in abandoned subway tunnels. When Mayor Daly was the club, uh, we had this problem here with the, with the, you know, the guy busted into the, we flooded essentially underground here when the guy broke the river into the oh, tunnel system. In yeah, yeah, long, yeah, long, long, long story. But the mayor, uh, Mayor Daly was out in New York and the guy said, God, because if that would have happened here, we'd have lost like 45,000 people. That's how many people live underground in, in these stub tunnels and stuff. Hey, uh, real quick, we we'll have a minute. Uh, one of our guys, our listeners, uh, Mat- Matty Weber and I were having the debate yesterday about li- uh working from home. And Paul uh writes in, and he's an, an engineer forever. He goes he goes, uh your input in a meeting for one minute might have saved an engineer six months' worth by not going down a different path. And he says uh, this is very rare. Somebody agrees with me. You can never get answers from people when they're working from home. They must be outside cutting their lawn or something. In the old days, I would normally walk down to their office and get an answer immediately. As an engineer, I become less effective waiting for key answers from people working from home. Perhaps that I could finish in a week now take a month. Waiting to get answers from all sites of people working from home allegedly, or cutting their lawn or picking up their kids from school. So there's a there's an example. I don't know. I have a hunch it's very individual. Some places, some people actually do. Uh, stuff at home, and uh, other people don 't I mean just like anything else right jan it 's uh
5: I think people you know who are working at home are, are by nature multitasking already, so that their their domestic responsibilities and their work responsibilities have been blended kind of inextricably, yeah, and they both suffer i mean if you have small children you 're trying to look after, or if you have a spouse or whatever that you 're trying to work around or support uh, there 's no way you can devote hundred percent of your energies or time in any given hour during the day just one thing and you know that maybe that was true when people worked in offices too and you could pick up the phone and buy some you know time away from whatever the pressure was at your desk but i just find it harder for people today who are trying to manage a career and a home economy and make you know anything productive out of either one of them it's just there's the, the loss is greater than individual contributions that you're making to this side or that side it well, John, you down and, and and your whole life becomes taken over by an exhausting
1: routine. Jan, we got a dash, bud. Thank you very much. Maybe who knows? Maybe maybe you'll come out of your cave and it's cold weather and I get to see well, you one of these just, days. I
5: want to give you a heads up too, Tammy because Monday is my dreaded jury duty day. Okay, oh, um, on Rolling Meadows, so I will know by four thirty Sunday evening if I've you know, got okay. A we, might a, we might yeah, have a we might have a dude coming in the office.
1: Might have a co-host coming in from the commodity markets. so uh, oh, it,
5: it's, I'll, I'll keep you apprised, but you know, good luck. So. Alright.
1: Well, uh, hopefully, we have bo- hopefully we have both of you because we're talking about soybean crushes and the natural gas prices, and it should be well, fun.
5: It'll sure be sitting around the jury room and Rolling Meadows.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a... <laughs> SP Future's down 15, NASF is down 62. Back tomorrow, Stacks
7: and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.